Hello, Harbor Church. My name is Richard Jones. I'm an elder at the Harbor, and it's my pleasure today to be talking to you about mechanics of the gospel. I trust that wherever you're listening or watching on video, that you are doing so because you want to learn more about the basic fundamentals, the mechanics of the gospel. You know, without the gospel the under as the underpinning of everything we do at our church, we're really wasting our time because without that as a foundation of what we do, God is just not going to bless our efforts. So I'm honored and humbled to be able to talk to you today about week six of our uh, Mechanics of the Gospel series, and that is Follow Jesus. So I want to do a quick overview of the previous five weeks. So in week one, we learned there is one God by whom and for whom all things exist. God created the universe and everything in it. He created humanity as the crown jewel of his creation to bring him glory. In week two, we learned that we have separated ourselves from God by our sin. You know, the way God intended the relationship with humans to operate has been broken by sin. The consequences of sin are separation from the perfection and holiness of God. Oh yes, and one key point, every human who has ever lived has sinned by nature and by choice. In week three, we discussed that God has provided a solution to our sin in Jesus Christ. You know, God's rescue plan for humans in our sin and separation from him was simple. It's Jesus Christ, God's son. In week four, we were reminded that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave. This was the completion of the work of Jesus the Messiah in his ministry in the form of a human being here on earth 2,000 years ago. Jesus lived a sin-free life on earth in human form, but he went to an agonizing death on a Roman cross. He died so we don't have to. And then, just like he predicted, he rose again. He was resurrected from the grave. This one sacrifice was sufficient to cover all of the sins of the entire world for all time. In week five, we reviewed that what we are supposed to do in response to what Jesus has done for us, and that is we are saved by accepting Jesus' sacrifice and repenting of our sins. You know, to believe in Jesus is to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of our life, and this means that the next step after believing is to turn away from our life of sin and turn to Jesus. You know, we call this conscious decision to turn away from our former life and embrace Jesus as repentance. And that leads us to today's message of the mechanics of the gospel, which is we are called to follow Jesus with our whole lives. Now, if we believe that Jesus died for our sins and we have made the decision to turn towards him, to repent of our former life and turn to him, then the next logical step is for us to follow Jesus. But what does this really mean to follow Jesus? So here's some of the characteristics. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's some of the characteristics that it means to follow Jesus. The first one is, it's a lifelong commitment when we follow Jesus. Second one is Jesus has first position in our lives. You know, he is a center of our life. Um, he is the one in authority. You're going to hear a lot more about that as we talk about and read through scripture today about Jesus is the one in authority in our life. Jesus is the one who we lovingly obey and trust. And to follow Jesus means a lifelong process of growth. You know, just like a human uh, baby, when they're born, they don't, they're not born and then in 20 minutes mature into a, a fully mature adult, and neither do we. When we decide to follow Jesus, we start out as infants, and then we move through, you know, uh, growth 
in our walk with Jesus. Over the years, I've had many discussions with people who went to, grew up in a church and went to church probably until they were a teenager or a young adult, and they never made a commitment to follow Jesus. And when I uh, talk to them about it and they openly share with me, this is a theme I hear time and time again. They say, you know, when I was growing up in my church, uh, the church leaders there told me that following Jesus was all about this really strict observance to this, these you know, thou shalt nots. We used to jokingly call them, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do this. And, and um, over time, the, the people basically just started to realize, wow, there's no way I can ever live up to that standard. Like I'm going to fail. And then, you know, when I have these dialogues with people, they'll openly share, you know, it wasn't just that I couldn't hold myself to that standard. Neither could the leaders of those churches. They built a bunch of regular, you know, kind of made it rules-based. And when you make it rules-based, what happens is you become discouraged and disappointed. Said, "Hey, I can't, I can't possibly live up to those rules, and neither can my leaders." So it creates a, a conflict that is just easier for me to quit than it is for me to try to work it all out. So when I hear that, that that kind of leads me to to the next point I want to make in this in what it means to follow Jesus is that following Jesus is not this rule book. Following Jesus is based on a number of principles, and I want to give you some examples of these. There's not very many of them, actually. I want to give you some examples from Scripture of what these are. First one I want to start with is from the uh, New Testament. And it's Matthew chapter 22. This is a teacher of the law, comes to Jesus, and he asks this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, when Jesus was talking about the law and the prophets, what he was talking about is the commandments in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is a story, really, of, the, of God's relationship with the, with the chosen people, the people of Israel. And God gave them laws, basically, that were given to Moses. And basically, they, God said, look, you obey these laws and commit them to your heart and follow them, and I'll always I'll always support you in everything that you do. And here was a challenge. Uh, the Israelites quickly fell away from obeying those laws, or they, or they fell away from obeying them with, with their heart. And so what happened was basically they just kind of went through the rituals, and yeah, I'll do this sacrifice, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. But they didn't have the heart for it. And eventually they fell away from, uh, from God's favor. And that's what can happen to us if we don't love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind. So it comes first as a heart, as a heart change. And the second one, he just says, like it, it's like, it's like a love the Lord your God. It's like love your neighbor as yourself. So pretty, pretty simple principles, very powerful ones. The other one I want to share with you is what we often call the Great Commission. And this is actually Jesus talking to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven. So this is the last time that his disciples saw Jesus on earth. It's from Matthew chapter 28. It says, Then Jesus came to them, them being the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now look at some of the words that are in here. The first one is Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let's stop and think about that for a second. Jesus is saying, 
hey, God the Father has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. So I kind of call that the universe. So Jesus says, hey, I have all power in the entire universe. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, it's not really a suggestion. That's why we call it the Great Commission. We're commissioned to go do that. And the other thing that you'll see this re uh, occur a few other times as well, that word authority in that scripture. You know, we see other words in there like go and make disciples. And we hear this other word, obey. So those are things that sometimes as humans, we don't really like to, to say, hey, I'm going to submit to an authority. I'm going to obey some higher authority. And yet it was really clear in Jesus' last words to his disciples while he was on earth before he ascended into heaven about how seriously he used his authority to challenge and commission his disciples. So um, I'm going to pause here. Uh, one of the things I've learned in my in my uh, walk and in my discussions around what it means to be a disciple with people over the last couple of years is one of the things that's been revealed to me is sometimes I say things that people don't understand the definition of what I say. Now, I'm not talking about things that I communicate with my wife because that's a uh, that she doesn't understand what I mean because that's a communication issue. It's not a definition issue. This is more of a definition. So I want to I want to uh, help people understand what it means when I use the word disciple. This is particularly true of people who who are already believers and think they have an understanding. So I want to make sure we're kind of uh, talking common language here. So uh, in the previous verses from Matthew uh, chapter twenty eight, I read Jesus actually used the term. Disciples, go and make disciples. And, you know, and basically those, his followers uh, were called disciples. Um, what does that mean? So I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read from this slide, and basically, pretty simple concept. A disciple is an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who is learning skills from a master, someone who is more experienced and more knowledgeable than the apprentice. In other words, you're a learner. Now, the interesting thing about this, as a learner, you're actually learning what it means to be a follower. And part of that learning is that you're teaching others how to follow Jesus. So the, I'm going to read another scripture that I think sometimes when we use definitions to define something, you know, we use one definition for another definition. So maybe the, the you know, using an apprentice equivalent to a disciple doesn't really resonate with us. So I'm going to actually read a scripture from the New Testament that actually describes what it looks like when a person is a disciple. And so this comes from Matthew chapter 4. This is early in Jesus' ministry. And it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And again, this is an example of what a disciple looks like. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Here's what we can deduce from this passage. The, there's three aspects that show what a disciple look like here. The first one is follow me. You know, that's a decision that we make in our minds. We have to make a conscious decision. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? Uh, the second statement, and I will make you. Basically, in other words, I will change you from what you are into something else. This is a transformation that occurs in our hearts when we follow Jesus. And again, that's done with your heart. And the third one, I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. These are practical things we do when we follow the Great Commission to make disciples. And we do those with our hands. So if we put those together, this is, I guess you could call it a definition in a way. Uh, but this is based on that uh, 
the scripture I just read, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Just read that again. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Now that definition comes from a great book called Disciple Shift by Jim Putman and Bobby Harrington that we've been using at the harbor for several years. And I love that definition because it's it's more about what it looks like than a pure definition. So I want you to commit that to memory as we go through the rest of the uh, rest of the discussion this morning about what a disciple looks like. So at this point, I feel like I it's important to stop and discuss another point that I think is really important in this. When we talk about following Jesus, and we talk about this quite a bit at the talked about this quite a bit at the harbor in the last couple of years. And this is the difference between faith and work. So this is a reminder for many of you, but I think it's an imp extremely important one. We are not saved by our service or by what we do. We are saved by our faith and faith alone. But we are saved for service. Just reemphasize that again. We are not saved by our service, by what we do, but we're saved, by our, we're saved by our faith, but we are saved for service. And I want to read this scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. It's a, it's a really well-structured uh, reinforcement of those principles. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is unearned favor or unmerited favor. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Great description. We're, not, we're saved by our faith and our faith alone. So recently I came across an illustration that I think illustrates this point really well. And uh, I also like it because it has some math equations in it, pretty simple ones, but it's like this. Too many of us labor under the perception that it is our faith plus our works that equals our salvation. You know, the works are at the root of our salvation. I've kind of represented it here as it's like the roots of a tree. We have to get those roots built as our works before we can be saved. And that is false. Our faith plus our works does not equate to our salvation. Instead, we are saved by our faith alone, but out of our salvation should come good works as the fruit of our salvation. This fruit should mark the characteristic, should be the outward evidence of the life of a follower of Jesus. And I've illustrated that here with the, you know, with a symbol of a mature tree. You now, one thing a mature tree does, it produces fruit. So remember I showed this slide a few minutes ago about some key things that mean to be a follower of Jesus. You know, a lifelong commitment means Jesus has first position in our lives. It's a lifelong process of growth. In the book of Galatians, which is written by the, the Apostle Paul, he gives us a listing of what he calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit that lives in people's lives who are followers of Jesus. And it is, it is this fruit that we should be able to witness in the life of a follower of Jesus. So there's nine characteristics listed here. This isn't, again, an exhaustive list, but these are things that we should observe as the fruit of Jesus living in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. And again, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we should living in our lives. That these are evidence of our commitment to follow Jesus. You know, in fact, it's been my personal experience that just the first two items on that list, love and joy, can distinguish a follower of Jesus from people who aren't really following him. And it's, you know, surprisingly easy to start to look for those the fruit of the Spirit, as we call it, after just being around people for a while and observing them. You could, that fruit will be evident in their life. You know, Jesus, in fact, had a couple of important teachings about the evidence of what's in our life and whether it really means we're being followers of Jesus or not. I'm going to talk about that in a, in a passage from the book of Matthew. So I'm going to read a passage from Matthew chapter 7, uh, from verses 15 to 29. And this is near the end of what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is teaching to a large crowd and um, he winds up that the lengthy uh, teaching to them with some illustrations. I'm going to read from them here. Starting in verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So here Jesus is directly addressing a point that the Apostle Paul talked about in Galatians you know, 25 years later, and that is you can recognize a true follower of Jesus by the fruit of their lives. Now, the next passage is just carrying on from that, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So here Jesus says that only the one who does the will of God, only the person that does the will of God, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is warning us that just because people outwardly look like they're obeying God, like they may be actually doing quite powerful works, and you know it looks like they were prophesying in God's name and doing things in God's name, and it looks like they may be successful in terms of their following, that doesn't actually mean they're truly his disciples. And there are many people today, as troubling to me in a, in a major way. There are many people today who have a lot of prominence on social media or a, you know, or a large following at a local church who are not teaching the true gospel that we've been teaching about here in our series the last few weeks. So the evidence is, is not necessarily what you see quickly on the outside. The evidence has also got to be based on what's inside and what, based on what Jesus here. And just to reemphasize, what is the will of God that Jesus talks about here? It's basically what I shared earlier in the message, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to basically go and make disciples. In other words, we need to trust and follow Jesus, that by giving him first position in our life, we're going to be doing the will of God. Jesus completes this passage with some closing thoughts, starting at verse 20. Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'm going to complete this passage by complete finishing up uh, verses 28 and 29. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Well, of course, Jesus taught as one who had authority. We read in Matthew 28, which I'm going to reread here in a minute, that Jesus had all authority. In fact, I'm going to just put the scripture up here on the slide for you to look at it again. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, a thing that we've heard over and over is about Jesus' authority. And we follow him, we follow the authority of Jesus. So I want to close this message with some personal reflections uh, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the first reflection, folks, and I want us to get a, just a reminder that who we're talking about following here, when we say follow Jesus, we are talking about following the creator of the universe. The book of John starts with this. Uh, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what he means by that Word is Jesus. So in the beginning, Jesus existed. He was with God, and he was, he was God, and he was with God, and he created the universe. So folks, when we talk about giving our life to Jesus, we're talking about committing to following the ultimate authority in the entire universe. So this is not worshiping somebody that's going to die. It's not worshiping a cause that's going to fade away. This is the ruler, the authority, the creator of the universe. And Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Incredible that the creator of the universe knows each and every one of us and wants to have a relationship with us. So stop and think about that just for a second. If that's the most powerful authority, if Jesus is the most powerful authority in the universe and he wants to have a relationship with us, um, if you're not following Jesus, if you haven't committed to give him first priority in your life and follow that authority, then I can only conclude that you're following something else. That you've given something else more priority in your life than the creator of the universe. And there's actually a word for that. Jesus, or sorry, God uh, calls it that you're worshiping an idol. So an idol is anything that we put before God in our life. Could be our, could be money. Could be power, could be our job, could just be our desire to be happy and not have to actually make a commitment to do anything significant with our life. But all of those are putting something before God. And that's what idol worship is. Second reflection, you know, one of the ways that we can observe whether a person is a follower of Jesus or not is by the by seeing them be transformed. You know, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit and outwardly what we see, well, none of that is actually it's not possible to have fruit in your life unless there's a change in your heart. We can't do that on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit on our life to change our heart. And that's why I, 
think people get worn out trying to just obey a bunch of rules when we don't have the transformation happening in our heart. And you know, I mentioned discussions that I've had with many people over the years who walked away from their faith is because they were just trying to follow a bunch of rules without having the Holy Spirit change their heart. We need to be follow. We need to be be willing to follow, you know, Jesus and 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 the, have the Holy Spirit change our heart. You know, when I read the verses from Matthew, I think too many of us who profess to be followers of Jesus are only doing it with half their heart. We call half-heartedly. I think we need to keep the things of this world that we feel make us happy away from being a distraction from following Jesus with all our heart. That's why he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So basically, folks, if we're not serious about that transformation in our life, um, then you know, we can't expect to have the blessings of being a follower of Jesus if we're not serious about following him with all our heart. And this is something that we're going to address in uh, some of the coming sermon series after we finish up with Mechanics of the Gospel. My final reflection is really around my own experience. Um, I was baptized when I was 14 years old, and I won't tell you how long ago that was, but uh, for those of you that uh, are watching this, you can tell from my uh, COVID-19 haircut that I have, there's lots of gray in it. So that wasn't yesterday. Um, and I can share this with you. My journey as a disciple of Jesus has not been a straight line. In the business world, we have this saying, you know, something successful goes up and to the right, meaning it starts, you know, something small and it grows in revenue and in profitability. So we say, hey, something's going up and to the right. You say, wow, in a straight line, how impressive that is. I can assure you that my walk with Jesus has not been a straight line up and to the right. There's been ups and downs in it. And there have been places when I struggled a lot with my faith and committed to following. But I do know this. And, um, you know, we see this in, I've seen this in other people's lives who I deeply respect. And um, we read about it. Uh, Paul talked about it a lot in the, in the New Testament in his experience. I'm going to put it here on the screen. This is my experience. The more deeply I commit to following Jesus and giving him first place in my life by trusting and obeying him, the more I experience joy. So friends, that's something that we seem to have lost out of our, out of people that we are professed to be Christians. There's not a sense of joy in their life. And they're absolutely, that's a fruit of the spirit that Paul wrote about. And that's been one of the key differentiators, love and joy about serving. So friends, I want to leave you with this challenge. You know, there's no greater joy and there's no greater purpose in your life than becoming a follower of Jesus, a wholehearted follower of Jesus. You know, if you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus yet, then I really challenge you to connect with us at the harbor. I'm going to put our uh, website address at the, in the last slide here, and you can call us at the church office, and someone will, you know, get back to you and connect with you about what the next steps are. And for the people who are listening or watching this who have, uh, made a commitment to follow Jesus, but are wondering, like, am I really, am I just half-hearted in my commitment? Then I want to hearken back to what we read uh, from Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was finishing his Sermon on the Mount, and the illustration he gave was the, the wise builder and the foolish builder. Folks, if you can build a nice-looking house, it looks like outwardly, yeah, I'm serving Jesus, I'm a Christian. But if you don't have your life grounded on the rock, that's Jesus, when the storms of life come, and they will, some of them are happening right now with COVID-19, but when the storms of life come, everything that you've built on your own and everything that you've been worshiping as your own, as an idol above God, is going to get washed away. And, you know, Jesus gave that a name when you put something 
and you profess to be a followers, follower of his, then you put something else above him. And he called it, he called it foolish. So friends, I implore you not to be foolish and half-hearted in your commitment to follow Jesus. And when we get to the last uh, message in our gospel series, Mechanics of the Gospel, you're going to find out why uh, being wise and building a foundation on Jesus has such great rewards. So thank you for listening today.